right. Ruth chapter 2. If you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there, that's where we're going to be working through this morning. Uh, hopefully, uh, you're not too wet this morning that it makes you where you can't hear and, and uh, like just saturated with rain. It sounded like it got real bad right as everybody was coming in this morning. So, um, hopefully, we can kind of tune in and, and continue work through the book of Ruth. And that last week, we started this series, right, called Come What May. As we work through this, this story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, and, and really one of the, this, this story in the Old Testament with, with these individuals is an incredible story of commitment and faithfulness and love, and ultimately God's commitment and faithfulness and love to us as we kind of track through it. And last week, as we began, we saw this incredible thing that happened. As, as the, the people, the, the, kind of the main people in the story, uh, they have this... They leave from Bethlehem uh, to go on a trip, to go away from there. And, and really to kind of sum up the chapter, uh, my, my Baptist roots are coming out. My alliteration need comes out pretty strong. I'm going to sum up the chapter with four Ds. Okay, I'm going to just give you a recap from last week. There's the four Ds of chapter one. I know Ds pretty well because that's what I made in high school. <clears throat> it wasn't funny. It was the, I mean, Seriously. So the four Ds, the first one is that desperation, right? Desperation is what caused them to leave their home. Elimelech and and Naomi and their boys, they leave from Bethlehem and they go to a a place called Moab. It's where God had told the people not to go, to not interact with the Moabites, but they did it anyway. So desperation caused, it was a famine and they leave. And then in that, their leaving is disobedience. It's the second D, desperation, disobedience. They go to a place that God told them not to go, looking for greener pastures, thinking they can find something in other places, even though God had told them not to go to those places, that God would not provide for them. So they leave, and they're disobedient. There's disaster that strikes for them. Naomi is left without a husband, without sons. Now she just has two daughter-in-laws who are Moabite women. This is not the story that they wrote when they left to go to Moab, thinking they would be rescued from the famine. Things have gone disastrous. And lastly, as things kind of, kind of culminate and we get back into the end of the chapter, Naomi realizes that there's food again in Bethlehem, and so she's going to go back to Bethlehem. She tells the daughter-in-laws, hey, you just stay here. There's really nothing for you back there. One of them takes her up on the offer. The other one, Ruth, says, no, I'm going with you. She makes this declaration She says, I'm going with you. There's desperation that leads to disobedience, disobedience that leads to disaster. But as the story wraps up in chapter 1, there's a declaration. It's what we read last week, Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Listen to these words, these strong words from Ruth. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severe, if even death separates you and me. She makes this declaration. It's a life-defining declaration. I'm going with you. No matter what, you can't tell me any different. I'm going with you. But not only is it I'm going with you and a commitment to her mother-in-law, it's a commitment that she's making to follow the God of Naomi. It's a life-defining moment. She said, I'm not going to be defined by my obedience to the Moabites. I'm going to be an Israelite. I'm going to follow the God of the Israelites. I'm going to put my faith and my hope in the God of the Israelites. And that brings us to chapter 2. 
And in chapter 2, we realize that chapter 2 is, is a spot where we have a crossroads between a declaration and everyday life. This, this grand, grand declaration of I'm not going anywhere is met with everyday life. And I believe that a lot of us are in this place of the everyday life. Where we get up and we do things and we come home and we go to bed and we get up and we do whatever we do. We come home and we go to bed and it's this mundane everyday life. And that's where we find ourselves in the beginning of chapter two. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand with me and we'll read the first three verses. I'll read the first three verses. We just stand in honor of God's word. The passages will be on the screen. Beginning in verse one, it says, now Naomi had, rel- had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turns out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan Elimelech. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the time to gather, to open up your word. Father, we thank you for, for not only here, but it's op- that we're gathering together at Belmont and at Nolansville and all, those, all of those places opening up your word, coming to you because you are our source and our strength for the everyday. And Father, we pray that we would learn from your word what you have for us this morning, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and the courage, Father, on the other side to be obedient as you teach us. Father, we thank you for the, the sound of middle schoolers in the background. And God, pray that you would use them and and continue to work in their lives as well as we have an incredible opportunity to to shape and mold the next generation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this declaration, as you kind of turn to point one, the first thing that we see is this declaration that Ruth has is met with action. You're filling out your blanks on your, in your worship guide or in the, in the guide that you, have when, that you got when you came in. The first blank there, the declaration is met with action. You see that in the very beginning. And that action is not always glamorous. I mean, you, you, most of you know what I mean, that, that a lot of times the, the action, the going about the day-to-day work is not always glamorous. There's the, the expectation of what things look like, and then there's the reality. And I'm sure that you know what I'm talking about. Let me share just a couple. There's a show that's come on. Maybe I'm not the only one who's seen it called uh, Nailed It, right? Anybody else seen it? Right? It's this whole idea that they give them this really nice-looking cake, Rapunzel, and the castle, and they have these amateur bakers try to recreate it, and, and this is what they come up with, right? Right? The expectation versus reality. And if you kind of, I think we have a closer picture. This one is not just, <laughs> that's a nightmare. Like when expectation becomes a nightmare, right? Anybody experience this? Right? Don't make my birthday cake. But it doesn't just happen there. It happens all over the place. For, for me personally, right, my expectation of what a run is going to look like, right? Oh, doesn't that look special? And then the reality of what a run actually looks like. <laughs> my expectation of what a round of golf looks like versus the reality of... That's an actual picture of me. No, I'm just picking. The, the, my expectation of a weekend camping, doesn't that look serene? Just so relaxing 
and then what it actually looks like. <laughs> the reality is that that should be a picture of me in my living room because I'm not going camping. Let's just be honest. But we know that. We know we felt it, not just in these, and that's funny, but we felt that expectation and reality. Some of you know it because you, you're married and you remember staring longingly into your, love, your spouse's eyes at, your, at the wedding and you thought nothing could ever separate us or make us even argue about anything. And about three days later, ladies, you realize that he lives his towel every time he comes out of the shower on the floor. Like, really, this is what I'm going to live with for the rest of my life? There's expectation versus reality. That that little baby that you cuddled with, when they can use words, they talk back to you, right? That your job that you thought was going to be incredible, right, it was going to be awesome, everything was going to be, you were just going to climb right up that corporate ladder, and the reality is that you're stuck right there in the middle and you can't figure out how to get out. There's expectations versus reality. We've all experienced them in one way or another. And, and this morning, there's, for, for this place, this chasm that exists between it, that Ruth was going to understand this expectation versus reality. But there's the, what, what I see in this passage, what we can glean from this passage, is an understanding of what it takes to walk faithfully when reality hits. And the first thing that we can see when, when we come to this passage is when we're saying, come what may, that declaration of I'm going to stay with it and be faithful, I'm going to walk faithfully with my God, what is it going to take? And it's going to take initiative. You see, in the very beginning of this passage, what we see with Ruth is that she takes initiative. Verses, verses 2 and 3 again, it says, Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out and she entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. What this tells us in the very beginning, in the first three verses of this chapter, is that Naomi and Ruth are poor. They have nothing. There's not somebody coming to bring them grain in the evening. There's not somebody that's going out to provide for them. They're, she is going to, to hold on to and she's going to appeal to the Mosaic law, to the law that's, that was laid out by God, to the people of God. And Moses had said to the people in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 9 and 10, he says, when you reap, this is God's instruction to the people, when you reap the harvest of your land, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over to the vineyard a second time or pick the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. This was God's way of providing for those who were in need. It wasn't going to be a handout. They were going to have to take initiative and go and take care of it. But God had provided a way for the people who were in a spot to go and provide for themselves. Ruth takes the initiative to go and do it. She's not waiting for someone to come along and give her anything. Ruth, Ruth remains faithful to the decoration. She's going out into the field to provide for her family. She doesn't wait for some, some other young lady from the, from the town to come and ask her, do you want to go out to the fields with me? Let's go have a good time. No, she says, I'm going to go and do this because this is the way we're going to provide for our family. The reality is that for all of us, if we want to figure out a way to get out of doing something, there are plenty of excuses, right? Just come around my house midsummer when the yard needs to be mowed. I can lay down four million excuses of why I should not mow the yard. It's too hot, right? I might pass out and die. 
it, it probably rains sometime in the week and I don't want to leave ruts in the ground. I mean, my yard is a big deal, you know. Ruts are not cool. I, I can even make it sound noble that we really need to spend some time as a family. And if I'm out there, we can't spend time as a family. I can lay down some, some great excuses. If we're looking for reasons or ways to get out of doing something, of taking that initiative, there's always hurdles. There's always ways that we can do that. But Ruth had plenty of reasons to say that she was not going to go do that. But she walked out into the field. You just think about some of the things that she could have come up with, that it's going to be hard work. Right, And there was no promise that she was even going to get enough to provide for them. And even if she did get enough today, she was going to have to do it tomorrow because what she got today was not going to provide for very long. She would have to continue to go out and and glean in these fields and pick up after the other people that that were taking up this harvest. It It was an ongoing, this step is going to be another step and another step. It was going to be hard and it was never going to end. She wanted an excuse. She could say it was going to be dangerous because it was. She was a foreign woman with little to no protections. It was a dangerous place for her to be, following along these guys in the fields. She was going to have to do it alone. Naomi wasn't coming with her. You notice that in verse 2 and 3, she says, I'm going to go out to the fields. Naomi was like, okay, go ahead. What Naomi does not say is, oh, let me grab my shoes and a basket. I'll go with you. That sounds like a great idea. Let's go harvest. Naomi's like, no, y'all, you can go. I'm aware there's some cultural things that are happening there. I'm not suggesting that Naomi needed to get up. Don't get mad at me. But the reality is that she's going to have to go alone. There was plenty of reasons why she could say, I'm not going to do it. But she takes the initiative. When it comes to that declaration, it's met with action and she takes initiative and she does so with humility. She doesn't walk into the field entitled, acting as if these guys should just give her the best and the choicest grain. She just walks in and it says in verse 7 that she asked those harvesters, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She humbly comes in. There's a great deal to be said about humility And how far it goes in winning favor in our relationships, whether it be in our homes, with our spouses and our kids, kids with your parents, with your neighbors, with your bosses and your coworkers, students with your teachers and your and your teammates and your student and your peers in your classroom. There's a lot to be said about how humility will will go a long way in gaining favor. And it does so in this. She doesn't walk in as if she's owed anything. She's lost everything. She walks in in humility and asks. We're so wired and worried about being stepped on and, and run over that we forget the model that Christ left for us. That he, Jesus, who left heaven to come to his creation, it says in Isaiah, that he would be rejected and despised by the, own, by the very own people that he created. That he, he, in his own words, says that the Son of Man did not come to serve, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Humility goes a long way. It's a clear marker for someone who, whose declaration of come what may, I'm going to be faithful and committed, is clear in their lives. And they intend to remain faithful and steadfast to that commitment. It's her initiative and her humility that we can see. And then lastly, it's her work ethic. 
It says, if you continue in the verse 7 right there, it says, she came into the fields. This is one of the harvesters telling Boaz. It says, she came into the fields and she's remained here from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. It says in verse 17, if you go down a little bit further, that she's gleaned all day from sunup to sundown. And before she goes home, she cleans up all of that that she's gleaned and taken from the harvest. And she packages it up and then she goes home to Naomi. She is an incredibly hard worker. Her character begins to come out. Pastor Jason Hale from our Nolensville campus and I were talking this week as we thinking about the sermon, and he made the comment that character carries you further faster. And I told him that I was going to steal it, so I'm not plagiarizing anything, right? Character takes you further faster. And it's clear here for, for us as we look at Naomi, and, or excuse me, look at Ruth, that, that her character is what's taken her further They've noticed her work ethic, her initiative, and her humility. Then there's no doubt that the, story, the author of the story, the writer of Ruth, wants us to admire and even copy Ruth's initiative. She, she takes the initiative to care for her mother-in-law. She's humble. She doesn't put herself out presumptuously. She comes and she works hard from sunup to sundown, and it's what they notice about her. She rolls up her sleeves She says, come what may, I'm going to the fields. I'm going to provide for my family. It's the intersection of this great expectation of this declaration that I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden, the everyday happens and she gets up, takes the initiative with humility and goes to work. And that action that she takes is met with kindness. Verse 4, it says, when they hear from Boaz... Excuse me, verse 4 is where we hear from Boaz for the very first time, but we're introduced to Boaz in verse 1 where it tells us that he's a man of standing. It's kind of letting us know that there's something significant going to happen in the, in the next couple of verses as they tell the story. In verse 1 it says he's a man of standing. In other translations that you may be reading says that, it, that it's a, a worthy man or a prominent, a, noble, a man of noble character. And if you dig down into the original language, really what he's saying, what the passage is saying in verse 1 is that he's a wealthy man of prominent status in the city. He's, he's got a good name in the city of Bethlehem. He's done well for himself. He's made some money and people know who he is. But what we see as we get to chapter or verse 4 is that not only is he a good man with some money and done well for himself, he's also a very godly man. And one author points to verse 2, or excuse me, verse 4 as, as one of those places where we get to see his, him as a God-saturated man, a man who loves God first and foremost. Verse 4, it says this, When Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, he greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. They answered him. Listen, Boaz is not a theologian. He's not, a, he's not a, an academic. Boaz is a rough-handed, leather-skinned, hard-working farmer. He gets out of his F-250, puts on his cowboy hat, knocks some dirt off his boots, probably spits, don't be offended, He walks up to the guys who are harvesting the grain in his fields, his employees. And the greeting that he brings them is the Lord be with you. One author says, a commentator about this passage, that if you really want to know, if you really want to understand a man's relation to God, you need to find out how far God saturates the details of his everyday life. 
And evidently Boaz was such a God-saturated man that even his farming and his relationship with his employees was dripping with recognition of God's presence. Boaz knew that it wasn't the grain and the, and the money that those guys were going to get from him at the end of the day. It was the presence of the Lord that was going to be the best thing that they could have. So he walks out into the fields as a godly man. We can see it not only, we can see it in a few ways in his practice, right? The first is his faithfulness to come into the fields. And secondly, in his practice, that he's abiding by God's word. We just read Leviticus that these were the instructions that God gave to his people that as you glean, as you harvest the fields, don't take everything, leave the, the, the outsides, the margin for other people so that those who are in need can have food. And Boaz is abiding by God's word. In a time when you look at the judges where people were doing what they thought was right in their own eyes, Boaz was following God's word. He's faithful. His practice is faithful, and he has care for for the people that he works for. You can see that care in the way that he comes into the fields. This is the first time he's come into the field, and here's this lady that's in the field, and there's probably plenty of other people who have gleaned inside of Boaz's fields before. He knows the regular group of people who are there, but he sees somebody new, and he takes notice and tries to find out who they are. And he finds the story of her, and he... And then he, he approaches her and they have a conversation. Verses 8 through 16, just sit tight. I'm going to read this and just to hear this care that Boaz, this godly man, has for this young lady that's in his field. And so Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Do not glean from another field and do not go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the fields where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay hands on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get drink from the water jars my men have filled. Verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about, all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with the people that you do not know that you did not know before may the lord repay you for what you have done may you be richly rewarded by the lord the god of israel in whose wings you have come to take refuge she responds may i continue to find favor in your eyes my lord she says you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant though i do not have a standing of your of one of your servants and at mealtime boaz invites her over Come over here and take some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And she sat down with the harvesters and and he offered her some of the roasted grain. And she ate all that she wanted and she had leftovers. She got up to glean and Boaz gave orders to the men. "Let, let Let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. And do not rebuke her. Boaz cares for Ruth over and above what he's required to, even by God's standards. And he does so without any picture or any seeming picture of wanting something back from her. She has nothing to give him. You can maybe see that here's the beginning of of, of some sort of attraction, but the reality is that, that he knows that she has nothing to give back to him. 
The word, the kindness that's used in there is a word, named, is a word called hesed. And, and what it means is that gracefully and mercifully without any, any desire or any expectation that he would receive something back from her, he cares and gives to her. Can you see where this is going? We're not going to go there because I don't want to get in trouble. But he cares for her. He steps in and he, 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 brings, he brings her in to, to protect and provide for her, for this vulnerable woman who has no recourse outside of his kindness. Next week, we're going to explore more about Boaz as this incredible story unfolds. But today, Ruth's actions and Boaz's kindness, I want, from that, I want to pause and I really want to recognize how all of this points us to God's providence. This kindness of Boaz points us to God's providence. And what do I mean by providence? I just simply mean God's protection and his provision that's gone before us. And we would be foolish to miss it. We'd be foolish to step over it and, and, and just pass it over to finish the story and what's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. And, 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 and as Pastor Jeff last week said, sometimes we need to slow down and take it in again. We need to take it in again today that the narrator in this passage never says anything, never mentions God. He doesn't talk about what God's doing in the passage, but you can see the presence of God throughout the book of Ruth. That's God's providence. A lot of times we confuse God's silence in a moment with his absence, and we should not do that in this passage or in our own lives because God's silence doesn't mean that he's not present. He's present and active even when we can't see him. He's providently carrying out, protecting, and providing for us. We can see it in this passage as you just look through it. It just so happened that this young lady goes out to glean in fields, and she just so happened ends up in Boaz's fields, her relatives. That's God's providence. And it just so happens that Boaz leaves Bethlehem, the town where, he's, where he does business, and he comes out to the fields while she's in the fields harvesting. That's God's providence. We don't see it, but we don't, we don't hear God saying this is what he's doing, but we see it as we read the passage, and it just so happens that the harvester knows the story of why Ruth is there harvesting and gleaning behind the harvesters, and he's able to relay that story to Boaz so that Boaz takes notice and cares for this young lady who's done incredible work in stepping in to her mother-in-law's plight. It just so happens, right? Now that's God's providence. It's God's providence in, in the everyday. It's the God's providence in, in, the, in the mundane, in the, in, the, in the monotonous moments of life. This isn't the big and crazy and exciting time. This isn't the, the glitz and the glamour of, of, of life that we want to write home about. It's not the exciting moments. This is everyday life. God's active and present, providentially going before them to provide. And what we need to do in this morning as we kind of come to the close of this is take, uh, take note of what God is doing in the ordinary moments. We love the exciting moments. We love going to camp and doing retreats. Maybe that's for your students, right? We love those moments when God shows up in big ways. But this is God showing up in small ways. And we need to take notice of it in our own lives. Step back and be thankful. 
and take action in the ordinary. I have an encouragement for you this morning that would be to take action in the ordinary. In your homes, in your schools, at your job, it may not be glamorous, but the most godly thing that most of us could do in the morning when we wake up is go to work. Not because we have a passion for what we're doing. Not because our heart burns to go and and be an accountant. (laughs) I'm sorry, accountants. (laughs) That was one of the classes I made a D in. Not because because it's our our desire to go and and to to be a teacher and and wrestle with kids who who don't listen. Not not because it's fun and exciting and glamorous and we get all kinds of thank yous, but because it's the faithful step to take action in the ordinary. For some of you students, the most godly thing that you could do tomorrow is get up and go to school, not because you long to sit in English class, but because that's the ordinary place where God is going to do incredible things, even though they may not, they may not be exciting in the moment. That's faithfully providing in those places. There's moments where you get up and you simply serve your family. I'm certain that most of you never signed up, didn't think that your expectations of marriage and life and and having kids was not that you would get to fold loads and loads and loads and loads. How many of them is there? Loads and loads of laundry. But it could be the most godly thing that you could do is take that basket of towels and fold it. Take action in the ordinary to sense God's presence and his providence in the quiet and in the still moments of life. Everything's not a funeral or camp. There's a lot of times it's just ordinary life. And what we learn from Ruth is to take action in those ordinary moments. Secondly is to trust God. Not only do I want to encourage you to take action in the ordinary, but to trust God. Can his providence and what God is doing in these ordinary moments in Ruth's life as Boaz comes, comes into the story, we know that there's some incredible things going to happen. I can't go there, right? Because every week when we meet about this, this sermon series, Jeff says, don't go past your chapter because he knows me, right? I get too excited. I want to tell you what's going to happen at the end. But ultimately, right here in this passage, there's so much happening in the ordinary, and it teaches us to trust God more. Some of us are worried. We don't think that maybe Jesus is up to the task of taking care of our needs on a day-to-day basis. I would would argue that Ruth, in verse 17, as she carries that barley harvest back to, to Naomi at the end of the day, and it's exceedingly more than she could have ever imagined that she would, she would get in one day. And the, this, the favor that she's found in Boaz's eyes is way more than she could have expected in that moment that she would tell you that God can and he will provide for you. That for those of us who have put our lives in the shadow of God's wings, we've come to trust him as our savior. Listen, he can and he will provide for you. In the ordinary and the mundane. If you haven't come to know Christ as your Lord and savior, today could be that day. There's nothing extraordinary about the moment It may just be the day that you take the step out and say, God, I want to faithfully follow you. I want to trust you with my whole life, even the ordinary.
Three takeaways. The first is that we take action in the ordinary. Second, that we would trust God. And lastly, that we would give thanks. It's a fitting response for us to, in these ordinary moments, to look back and see God's hand at work. You can look forward if you want to, but the reality is that God is active right here in chapter 2. In, the, in these ordinary moments, God is doing something. And it's fitting for us to take a moment and step back and say, God, you have done something in my ordinary moment in life. When it's not exciting and crazy, when it's just day in and day out, you're doing something to provide, and I want to thank you for it. Give thanks for the fact that God has provided. Even as Naomi prayed that God would, would bless her, as, or as, as Boaz prays that God would bless Ruth's faithfulness, God is blessing Ruth's faithfulness by providing Boaz to be there and let her glean in that, harp, glean in that field. We're going to invite the band to come out, and we're going to just close this, this morning a little differently than we normally do And it's so fitting because we're just going to sing a couple of songs and celebrating God's grace, being thankful in the words that we sing for what God has done to go before us and provide, providentially go before us and provide that he has not left us alone. You know, one of the things that you think about in in the passage is she goes out in the field, she could have said she didn't want to go alone. In reality, she wasn't going alone. God was walking with her every step. She wasn't going to go in that field alone. She wasn't going to go and and struggle through the rest of her life by herself. God had not left her. When she committed to him, when she put her life in the shadow of his wings, saying, I'm going to follow him, commit to him, come what may, she would never walk another step alone. And neither will any of you. We can trust that God will faithfully be by our side, even when we can't tell. But these are those moments right now when we step back and say, God, would you let me see it so I can celebrate it and sing and thank you for it. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. We pray that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be pleasing to you. Father, we thank you that in the, in the mundane, in the ordinary of life, you walk side by side with it. We, we want the extraordinary. We want the big, the, the big moments. But God, you are being faithful and giving us the ability to be faithful because you are right by our side this morning. May our declaration be the same as Ruth's. Come what may committed to you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.